we'll be reading Psalm 10, the entire chapter, the entire psalm. This is the word of God. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Let's open our service in a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you as your people. We come before you acknowledging that you are a God who is over all, that you are a God who is sovereign, you are a God who is holy, you are a God who is righteous and pure, Lord, and you are deserving of all of our worship. And Father, as our circumstances have become difficult these past few weeks, Lord, we are reminded still that you are a God who is worthy of worship. And you are a God who is making clear to us ways that we can acknowledge you and give you the worship that you deserve. Father, I just pray for those who are not able to meet today around the world, that um, you would still be able to give your word through the messengers that you have ordained, Lord. And I just pray that your word would still go out, your word would still do its mighty work in the lives of people. Thank you again for the technology that we have, that we're still able to have a service, that we're still able to be committed to your word and the truth that's in it, Lord. So we thank you for all of these things. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to do another portion of scripture reading. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verse 19 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, through verses 19 through 34. This is the reading of God's word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's the reading of God's word. At this time, we're going to just come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Let's pray with me. Lord, our God, you are worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. It's a a privilege to come before you this morning, uh, whether we're here in this building or scattered in our homes, to worship you, the one true God. Lord, there is none like you. Uh, Who can compare to your greatness and majesty? Before the mountains were brought forth, before you formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You've measured the waters in the hollow of your hand. You have marked off the heavens. And the idols of this world uh, do not compare to you, O Lord. In this uh, time of uncertainty, we are reminded of just how minuscule our own knowledge is. Uh, But we turn to your word, and it tells us that you know all things. You are abundant in power. Your understanding is beyond measure. You declare the end from the beginning from ancient times and things which have not been done. Lord, you know all these things and you see our hearts. You keep watch over the evil and the good. Lord, you search our hearts and you know us. Would we praise you for your omniscience, Lord? God, though you are holy and righteous, far above us, you are also a God of love. Your mercies are new every morning. Your steadfast love never fails. What wondrous love is it, O Lord, that you have decided to set your love upon us, and you have demonstrated it by sending your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross, bearing your wrath against sin that we deserve to bear. So we we praise you and we, we thank you for your love. We pray now just for the Christians around the world, your church. We pray that we would be steadfast in hope, fixing our eyes upon Christ, that our minds would not be so preoccupied on the things happening around us that we would forget what is essential. We pray that these times would teach us to number our days and be aware of the eternity to come. Would that draw us to holiness and righteousness? Would we forsake the ways of sin and and draw close to you in repentance and faith? Would believers around the world be a testimony of the amazing work that you've done in our lives, that our light would shine brightly before men and they would turn and glorify you? We pray for the nations, Lord. We pray that you would uh, heal uh, this virus uh, from our world. We pray that you would be gracious and spare more people from sickness and, and death. But Lord, we pray that your will would be done. Use this opportunity to bring more and more people to repentance and faith in Christ and draw people to yourself in your kindness. 
and pray for the world's governments and leaders. They would be given wisdom and discernment. They would govern well according to your goodness. Lord, we pray for our nation, our president, our leaders, and our local authorities. We pray for those on the front lines uh, fighting against uh, this virus. Be with them at this time. Strengthen them. Give them wisdom. uh, Give them the strength that they need. Lord, we pray for our church here at Lighthouse, uh, for the leaders, for the, the elders of this church. Pray for a continued Uh, encouragement from your word. Uh, Build them up in their time with you, uh, that they would continue to be faithful uh, to shepherd the flock. Give them wisdom and with their love for you, with their love for Christ, and the love for your people increase. And for the members of our church, would our eyes be fixed upon Christ, our Savior? Would we draw close to you in prayer? Would we draw close to you in your word? And we pray that we would not be anxious, that we would repent of our, our sins, that we would uh, look to you and the peace that is found uh, in you alone. Would you use this time now to sanctify us? And as we come before your word this morning, we pray that it would do its work in our hearts, that we would see uh, more of you and more of who Christ is, and uh, that our hearts would be transformed by your spirit working through your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Special thanks to our AV team and our reduced service team this morning. Garrett and Kevin are here, Peter's here, Ryan Chan's here, and Kat Lou's here helping us out and making sure that we're able to bring the word of the Lord to you, to do so in a way that's pleasing to our Lord. Well, we want to welcome you all who are joining us this morning via live stream this Lord's Day and joining us to hear God's word for his people. And brothers and sisters, at a time when we are unable to gather in person together as a church on account of the government and public health mandates that are tied to this coronavirus pandemic, I want to just take a brief moment before we start uh, just to remind you all that on behalf of the leadership of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, that we love you, we miss you, and that we deeply care for you, and we've been praying for each one of you and looking to our sovereign Lord and waiting patiently for Him and waiting on His sovereignty until such time as He decides that this virus has served its good purpose in our lives, in our church, in our nation, and in our world, according to His Word, and according to such time that, in His wisdom, its work is done. So this past week, I'm sure it's been difficult for many of you. We've had phone calls and online conferences with many of you, and I know that many of you have been pressed in many, many ways, whether it's taking care of children at home, whether it's family members who are sick who you cannot reach or get to, whether it's being separated from events that are near and dear to your hearts. I know in many ways the members of our church have been spread thin. So please know that we're praying for you, but also as we prayed this morning and heard from God's Word, let's look to the Lord together and let's affirm the truth of His Word, that He is a great and good God, that He cares for us, that He is present in our lives. And though we don't fully understand all that He is doing in our midst, He is worthy of our praise and our love, and we can trust in Him at this time. And I know that's been hard. If any of you like me and our family, you've been watching the news, it's hard to stay focused and set your mind on things above. Our world has just been filled with quite simply bad news. And this week, we've witnessed our leaders, our nation, and our healthcare industry, our stock market, and the nations around the world brought to a halt and turned upside down, and done so by something that we cannot see with the naked eye. 
And this tiny virus that we cannot see has exposed all the different things that we place our trust and confidence in, typically. That's exposed them as falling short. And that's not to take away our support and our love for our president and for the leaders of this nation. But I recall reading this week a trauma surgeon in Italy in one of the preeminent hospitals writing and sharing that everything that he has prepared his life for, taking care of victims in earthquakes and taking care of trauma victims, it's all become obsolete overnight. And his feeling of, of helplessness to help in this battle that has brought our world to a halt. And it's affected each of us. Each of our lives has been directly and visibly affected in countless ways. And quite frankly, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and what we're hearing, this is likely not going to change anytime soon. For some time, we're going to have to deal with a new state of the union. For some time, we're going to have to deal with schools that are closed. For some time, we're going to have to deal with worship that is limited in many ways to online streaming. For many ways, we're going to have to deal with a leadership in a nation that is doing the best it can, but has still yet to find the solutions for what we're dealing with. But the good news of God's Word is that our Creator and God is very much in control. And He has a good purpose. And He has not left His people without help or hope. And He has given us the brightest of lights to light and to lead us through these dark and uncertain times. And brothers and sisters, this is something that we need to cling to. This is the truth of our faith. This is what sets us apart as believers. That we have something that the rest of the world does not have. The rest of the world, all they can cling to is their news, the testing, how much money they have in the bank, how many rolls of toilet paper they have in the cupboard. And there's nothing else. And when those things run out, there's just fear and pandemonium. But those who truly know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ know that the Lord has given us the brightest of lights, and the greatest of life that shines even in the darkest of times. And this light that we have is God's holy and beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the living Word of God. And it's to Him that we look to for light this morning. And brothers and sisters, let me remind you, it's Him that we need to look to for light every minute and every moment of our lives. And as we return to the God-breathed words of the 28th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, this is what we're doing. We're looking to Christ together. And during these past few weeks, we've been given a, a mandate by our president and our government and our public health department to restrict our gatherings to essential activities. And as we come to the end of Matthew's Gospel, here in Matthew 28, Jesus himself shows his disciples and us what is truly essential. And what is truly essential as we come to God's Word and we come to Jesus are not checks in the mail. They're not more masks or more dispenses of hand washing. They're not more rolls of toilet paper. And dare I say, what's essential is not even food and water. In light of what Peter read from us from Matthew 6 this morning, what is truly essential according to God's Word is that we might be with Jesus, the Son of God, and the light of the world. And that we might be together with His saints. And why is that the case? Why is this essential? Not just in the good times, but especially in the bad times. Because Jesus is the Holy Son of God, and He is the light and life of the world. Apart from Him, there is no light, and there is no life. And His saints, as we've been studying in Ephesians 2, His saints are the household of God, the holy temple of God. They are the place where Jesus dwells. 
Like we mentioned last week, as Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. And this is why the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that's why he would go on to say that he would rather lose everything, and that the loss of everything for him was gain, and that everything he had in the world was scublon, was rubbish, in comparison to gaining Christ. And this has been the testimony of the church throughout the ages, during times of persecution, during times of plagues, during times of disease, during times of uncertainty. That even the Apostle Paul, even though he's writing letters from prison, is able to have great joy and great hope. Why? Because he's together with Christ. And that's all that matters to him. Because this, brothers and sisters, is the reason for which we've been created. And this is why Jesus came and died. He died so that sinners could be with him. And this is ultimately what's essential. And this is our hope. Whether in life or death, our hope is that we belong to him. And as we come to God's word and we come to Matthew's gospel, this is what God and Matthew's gospel has given us. He's given us a testimony in Matthew's gospel about how we might know Jesus, how we might gain Jesus, how we might be with him. Matthew's gospel, the first gospel of our Bibles, is all about being with Christ, being with Christ as a disciple. And that's what we've talked about last week, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. What are the essential reasons of why disciples gather together, and what are the essential reasons of why we go to do what we do? And Matthew's gospel is given to us so that we can be with Christ, so that we can know Him. And you might recall the theme of Matthew's gospel is the kingdom and kingship of Jesus of Nazareth. And Matthew points out to us that this kingdom and kingship of Jesus is nothing less than the kingdom and kingship of God, the kingdom and kingship of heaven, where a disciple is not simply a follower of Jesus, but a disciple is a saint who has been saved, not by works, but a saint who's been saved entirely by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Through faith in Jesus Christ as the King of all. Through faith in Jesus Christ as a King who is sovereign over something as simple as the coronavirus or something as great as the money of the world. That the Lord Jesus Christ is King over all. And it's faith in Him, a faith that reveals itself in repentance from sin and following and obeying every word that Jesus has given This is what a disciple is, according to the Gospel of Matthew. Something I try and tell my boys on a regular basis as we walk through this and as we study the Scriptures together. The tendency is to think, oh, here's the Bible, here are the things I need to do. And yet as we come to the Gospel, we come to God's Word, Jesus Himself shows us, especially in Matthew's Gospel, that a Christian is not someone who is perfect. A disciple is not someone who walks around with a list of all the things that they need to do. A disciple is not someone who is perfect and without sin. To the contrary, a disciple is someone who is poor in spirit and who is well aware that he cannot solve his sin problem and his life is filled with sin. The distinction is that a disciple is a sinner who looks to Jesus for the help that he needs for all the help he needs, and most importantly, the help he needs for the forgiveness of sins and to walk with Jesus in light and life and not to walk in the death of this world. As we come to the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus' claim and his call as King and Lord of all, as we come to the end of his gospel, is affirmed by nothing less than his supernatural resurrection from the dead. He's coming back to life after having been crucified by Roman soldiers and buried. And in Matthew 28, it is the resurrected Son of God who returns to help His disciples. And as He does so, He shows them what is truly essential. It's one thing. It's Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, is this the essential thing in our lives? Over the past week... 
There have been many things that have captivated our attention. There have been many things that have motivated us. There have been many things that have gotten us up early in the morning and into our cars and into hour-long waits at Costco or other places. We have to stop and pause and consider, are we disciples of Jesus Christ? And is the one thing that's essential in our lives and the one thing that's essential that we need to give to our wives and our children and our loved ones and our neighbors, is it Jesus Christ? Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. As we see and hear the testimony of God's living word, that the one thing disciples so desperately need is to be in the presence of their Lord and Savior, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, and they told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep him out of trouble. We'll keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now... The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some hesitated or doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. This final chapter of Matthew's gospel begins with two females who are followers of Jesus, the two Marys, and who are doing what comes naturally to all true disciples. What are they doing? Are they searching for those rolls of toilet paper? Are they going for the food? Are they making sure they have ample gasoline stored for a rainy day? These two sisters are looking for Jesus. These two sisters are looking for Jesus on the Lord's day. And it's worth asking the same question of ourselves. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? And what does the testimony of our lives over the past week, brothers and sisters, show is the priority of what we search for in times of crisis and who we look for. Well, for these two sisters who are looking and searching for Jesus, the problem is that like us, on their own, try as they might, they are unable to find Jesus. Jesus is, as these opening verses show us in Matthew 28, conspicuously not present. And He's not present in the place and condition that these two sisters expect to find Him. Dead, buried, and buried, and barricaded in a rich man's stone tomb. 
And if you go back to Matthew 27, you will see that this is where the Marys left Jesus. They left his body dead and being sealed up in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But regardless of their circumstances, and regardless of their limitations, and regardless of their expectations, God's word and God's promises remain true. The disciples who seek and who ask and who knock as Christ commands, they will find and they will receive. Brothers and sisters, so often we look to our circumstances as the limitations of why we cannot do what is essential. Things were difficult with the children. We didn't sleep well last night. There was a long line on the way in to Costco. We walk through all of the different circumstances that limit us from doing what is essential, whether it's asking forgiveness of the Lord or asking forgiveness of our spouses or our children when we've sinned and fallen short. And yet the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the good news and the beauty of Matthew's gospel, he shows us we as disciples are poor in spirit. We are limited. Circumstances are set against us. But that does not stop disciples from receiving and being with what's essential. Because God is good and God is merciful and God is gracious and He is faithful to His promises. And for those who seek and those who ask and those who knock and those who come to their Heavenly Father asking for what they do not have and what they cannot achieve on their own, God promises He will by no means cast you away. For those who seek, they will find. Those who ask, they will receive answers. And those who knock, doors will be opened to them by their Heavenly Father. And this is what we see happening in verses 2 through 7. God in mercy and grace sends His angel to give these two female disciples the help and the direction and the encouragement they need to find what they are seeking. And it's worth noting that it is specifically through God's Word that's given by an angel of the Lord, specifically through God's Word, that the two Marys find not only what they're looking for, but they find so much more. They do not find a dead and buried Jesus. They find a Jesus who is alive and risen and coming to meet them. Brothers and sisters, for 2,000 years, the world has questioned whether Jesus is alive. 2,000 years have passed from the time when the two Marys were shown by the angel, the empty tomb where Jesus was buried. 2,000 years have passed since the two Marys came face to face with the risen Lord. Times have changed, circumstances have changed, diseases have changed, but what remains unchanged is that the truth and grace of God's Word is what helps disciples find Jesus. It is the truth and grace of God's Word that gets us to where we need to be. It is the truth and grace of God's Word that gives faith in dark times. And it is the truth and grace of God's Word that leads us to a salvation that is far more than we hoped or expected. And this is what is happening with the two Marys. And this is why, brothers and sisters, time in prayer... And time in God's Word is essential, especially in times like this. Because prayer and God's Word are God's sure provision for His children that helps struggling and inadequate disciples find what sinners so desperately need. A living and loving Lord who has conquered Satan, sin, and death. It's prayer and God's Word that help failing and sinful disciples come close to and draw near the risen Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Brothers and sisters, it's times like this when this tiny virus has brought the world to its knees and fear of death has locked us into our homes. And a world has been exposed as being inadequate to take care of the people who call themselves its citizens. What we so desperately need is not more masks 
and not more hand sanitizers. What we so desperately need is a manual, God with us. What we so desperately need in our houses and our homes is the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's worth stopping and asking, brothers and sisters, in the busyness of the past few weeks, have you had time to draw near to Jesus in prayer? Have you had time to be in His Word? Men who are the leaders of homes, have you had time to encourage your wives and your children by drawing them close to you and praying together with them over what they are afraid of and then reading God's Word to them and pointing them to a Savior and Lord who is greater than everything that they are afraid of and everything that threatens us in this world? Or are we, brothers and sisters, carrying on like functional atheists, people who act as if God is not present, God does not see, and we're only as good as that last tin of food in the cupboard? Well, as we come to verse 8 and 9, Matthew shows us The Jesus, the two Marys find, is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And as they follow and as they obey by faith and with great joy God's holy word, this is the path in which they discover Jesus. And this is the path in which Jesus comes to meet them. And brothers and sisters, for true children of God, this is always the path and this is always the place where Jesus meets his children. It's on that path of obeying His Word by faith and with great joy. Verse 8 says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell His disciples. Here we see how they're obedient to the Word of God. And what sends these sisters out and what gets them to go is the opportunity to tell the good news to others that Jesus is alive and that He has met them, even as God has promised. And verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Here, as we noted last week, God shows us why disciples gather together and why they go. Disciples gather together, and they go because Jesus is alive. Disciples gather, and they go because Jesus is alive. With his people. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and he has come to us. Disciples gather together and go because we follow the directions and commands of God's word by faith, wherever he tells us to go and whatever he tells us to do. Disciples gather together and they go to worship Jesus because Jesus is indeed the risen Son of God. And because we love Him, and because we need Him more than anything that this world can offer. And this is the testimony of the two Marys, and this has been the testimony of disciples since Jesus rose from the grave until the present. And in verse 11 through 15, God shows us what a contrast this is to the rest of the world. We're stopping for a minute. And thinking, in America, we have been so privileged, and we have been so gifted by the Lord, and we've been so blessed that we can go wherever we want, and we can do whatever we want. And we get so offended when someone would suggest that we can't go somewhere, or we can't do something, or we can't gather with the people we want to gather with. We've seen that play out in the beaches of Miami this week, and we've seen that play out in other parts of the world and other parts of America where people are offended that anyone would suggest that they can't go or gather where they want to go and gather. And yet, brothers and sisters, the history of the church for the past 2,000 years has been a history of believers and disciples gathering to be near Jesus and going to share with others the good news that Jesus is alive, regardless of the adversity, regardless of the disease, regardless of the illness, regardless of the danger. Last night I had the opportunity with my boys to read them a little storybook about David Livingston, the Scottish believer and disciple who became saved and went on to become a physician and went on to become an explorer and had a heart that was burdened for Africa at a time when Africa was largely unexplored. 
And here he was with a burden for the salvation of those who were living in the darkness of sin and idolatry in a world that was subject to brutal, brutal colonization, slavery, all the abuses of this world. We read about the courage that he had and the willingness to go and eventually the willingness to take his family and the willingness to go by himself to share the good news of the gospel, to explore portions of Africa that to yet for the West had not yet been explored, to go to places that other people refused to go to in order to find locations to set up mission stations so that the gospel and good news could enter into portions of the world that had not yet been reached by the gospel. And many of the missionaries who did that, they did that under the understanding that they were carrying out the Great Commission, that they were fulfilling the word of the Lord, that God had promised that the good news would go out to every nation and every tongue before Christ returns. We read about how David Livingston was sick for extended periods of time, likely with malaria, suffering and struggling and sweating. All for what? Gathering and going. Because Christ was present in his life, because he desired to be near to Christ, because he desired to please Christ, because he believed Christ was alive, but also because he believed that there were so many other people who so desperately needed Jesus. As we come to verse 11 through 15, we see what a contrast this attitude is, brothers and sisters, to the attitude of the world. And we're shown the attitude of the world by the soldiers and the chief priests who hear about Jesus being, not being present, who hear about the empty tomb, who hear about the stone being rolled away, and we see what it is that causes soldiers to run to the chief priests and for the chief priests to gather together. And we see that they simply gather together and they go to cover their own sin, to cover their inadequacies, and to get more money. To find some temporary fix for their fear and to cover over their inadequacies and their shortcomings. And we see here, brothers and sisters, a picture of the world that we're living in right now. Our world is not that much different. Somehow we believe that issuing checks of $1,000 or $1,500 to every citizen in America, we're going to make all of this go away. Somehow we believe that a financial stimulus and billions of dollars is going to keep the merry-go-round going around. A world that ignores Jesus and believes that we're only as good as our last dollar. Well, what is Jesus' response the disciples who worship and obey him. It is quite different from the chief priests and it is quite different from the soldiers. Does Jesus simply bask in the worship and adoration of his disciples? Does he simply look and wait in silence? Is it a church service where people are gathering together and focusing on what they need to do? As Jesus' disciples answer his call and they come to a mountain in Galilee and they do so by faith because they have been commanded by their Lord to come and meet him there, we see that Jesus fulfills his word and he is true to his every promise. And he meets his disciples in a mountain in Galilee. And as he meets them in that mountain of Galilee, the Son of God does what no one else can do. He expresses his love for his disciples by speaking to them. And by giving them words that give them the light and the life they so desperately need. Giving them words of light and life that need to be carried to a dying world. Those words, brothers and sisters, are what we know as the Great Commission. What we read in verses 18 through 20. Jesus has a purpose. Jesus has a reason. And Jesus has an intention as he gathers his disciples together. He gathers them together to hear His words because His words give life. Brothers and sisters, what is essential? Why do we gather together? Why do we go? We go to be near to Jesus. And we go to be near to Jesus, not just to see Him. We go and gather to be near to Jesus to hear His words. Why do we do this? 
Because as the scriptures tell us, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is God's word that spoke our universe into existence in Genesis chapter 1. It is God's word that has raised the dead and healed the sick. It is God's word that has given us a plan of salvation for sinners who do not deserve to be forgiven. It's God's word that has raised Jesus from the dead, and it is God's word that gives sinners life in the midst of a sick and fallen world. This is the testimony of God's word over and over and over and over again. And it's why when Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and he has been in the desert, and he has not had food, bread or water for 40 days, and Satan comes and challenges him and says, turn these stones into bread. Do the miracle. Show that you are the Son of God. Life is about bread. Life is about food. Food and water, these are the essentials. You're the Lord who created the universe. You spoke the world into existence. All you need to do is to speak and these rocks will turn into stone. And what does Jesus say? And what does Jesus do? He quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes the written word of God. And he says, and he lives by He shows himself a true son of God. He says, man does not live by bread alone. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And brothers and sisters, this was Jesus' testimony all the way to the cross. All the way to the point where he was willing and did die to be obedient to God's word. Brothers and sisters, is the Word of God that essential to us? Are we willing to die for it? And I have to ask myself that question. We look at the history of missions, and we see that for many disciples, this indeed was the truth. Many did indeed die for the sake of the Word, because they died for Christ, because Christ was in them. And they thought and believed and were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, That man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that in life and death, they belong to Christ. And because of that, his word was more important than even things this world looks at as the basic essentials. Now, that's not to diminish food. And that's not to diminish water. And men, that's not to diminish your need and responsibility to provide for your families in this difficult time. You need to protect your families. You need to go out there and make sure that your families have food and water. You need to make sure that your families, when they are sick, have access to medical care. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, those things are not more essential than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, God with us, and our need to be with Him. Because bread and water will pass away Meals will pass away. You and I will pass away, be sure, whether it's from the coronavirus or whether it's 20 years from now or whether it's in the blink of an eye from a car accident. But it's the word of the Lord that remains forever. And it's the word of the Lord that has always given us life and drawn us near to Jesus. So we see in Matthew 28 through 20, this is what Jesus gives the disciples. He gives them in love, words of light and life that give salvation. And in verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority, the authority of God the Father, the authority that Jesus relinquished when he became a man and surrendered his life on the cross. All authority includes authority over all nations, over all demons, over Satan, over sin, over death, and over viruses, whether they be the Spanish flu or HIV or COVID-19. And brothers and sisters, as Jesus comes and says, all authority has been given to me, the direction of that authority, as you look at the rest of this great commission, is 
a commission that gives words to his disciples that draw sinners to himself. This is ultimately what is essential. And this is ultimately what the Great Commission is all about. The Great Commission is about going and gathering lost sheep and bringing them to Jesus. How? By proclaiming the good news of the gospel, of who he is. Every aspect of this great commission is a testimony of who Jesus is. He is not a man. He is the one whom, the one to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And this is why his disciples go. And in verse 19, Jesus with this authority commands his disciples and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who gives the authority to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is the one who gives authority to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who is shown here in the Great Commission to be the second person of the Trinity. He is not a man. He is not a teacher. He is not a prophet. He is Lord of all who is to be obeyed at all costs. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When you look at that phrase, all I have commanded you. It is the same phrase that God used in Exodus. As he gave his commands to the children of Israel. As he gave his commands to Moses. As you go through the Old Testament, that statement. All I have commanded you. Do all I have commanded you. That is a phrase that comes directly in the Old Testament from the mouth of God. And here Jesus is using the exact same phrase for his disciples. His disciples are to go. His disciples, their primary task is to affirm the lost sheep. That's what baptizing is about. Baptizing is about immersing someone in water, not to save them, but to affirm that these are indeed disciples of Jesus Christ, who the Holy Spirit has brought near to their Lord and Savior. Baptism is a symbol of a life of repentance by faith and following every command of Jesus. And then disciples, their primary task is to teach all that Christ has commanded. Brothers and sisters, the essentials of the church and the essentials of making disciples is going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who have not heard it. And for those who are indeed disciples, it's teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. It's worth stopping there and asking ourselves, is this the primary focus, brothers and sisters, of our lives? Is this an essential? Is this an essential at this time? It's the primary focus of our lives, brothers and sisters, learning to observe by faith all that Jesus has commanded. Is it somehow less important during a time of crisis or illness than it is during good times when everything's stable and everything is going well? Why are these things essential? Well, Jesus addresses it at the end of verse 20. And behold... I am with you always, or every day, literally every day, until the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, Jesus makes the point here. He is God. He is everywhere. But he is especially with those who are his disciples, who are going in his name. He also makes the point, what's implied here, is that he is going to come back even until the end of the age, that this age is going to come to an end. This world is going to be destroyed. We have a foretaste of this right now. A foretaste of how little it takes to destroy everything that we hold dear and we cherish in this world. And yet Jesus here shows that he is sovereign over all of it. But he also shows why he came and died for our sins. Brothers and sisters, he came and died for our sins so that he could draw us near to himself and so that he might be near his people. Brothers and sisters, if there's one thing that's essential, 
what's essential for a true disciple is for Jesus to be with us and for us to be with Jesus. The one who loved us and the one who gave his life so that we might be with him. Brothers and sisters, this time and this season is a time and season that has caused us to stop and consider what is essential in our lives. Is Jesus what? Or is Jesus the person that is most essential in our lives? As we wake up and as we go to bed, as we think about those we love, is Jesus what is essential to make sure that they have And by extension, is it his word? And is it the observation by faith of every command that he's given? Is it the awareness that Jesus is present in our lives? The eyes of the Lord are present, watching over good and evil. The Lord is everywhere, watching over good and evil. Is it the awareness that Jesus is one day going to come back in person? And he will meet us even as he met the two Marys. As they ran to tell the disciples, that he is alive. And brothers and sisters, when he comes back, will we be like the two Marys? Will we be busy running and obeying his commands? And will, be, will the essential tasks that we are doing as Jesus comes and returns, will it be running on the street to tell other disciples that he is alive and that he has assigned a place for them to be met by Christ? Brothers and sisters, as the things of this world become increasingly trivial, this is all that matters. Elders, are we disciples and are we leading in this way? Deacons, are we disciples and are we leading in this way? Members, are we disciples and is the testimony of our lives that Jesus is alive and is the primary task that keeps us busy from early morning to evening, taking this good news of the gospel and sharing it with lost sheep of every tongue and every tribe and every nation. If you had a vaccine for COVID-19, what would you do with it? Would you patent it and sell it for profit? If you had the remedy for those who are sick and dying, what would you do? Would you put it away in a closet? And would you sit on it after you got through the errands of the day? After you got through all the different things that you had to do? After you got through the different tasks on your job? Or would you shut everything down? And would you give it to as many people as possible so that they too could live? Some of you will remember, I've mentioned it many times, brothers and sisters, about the opportunity I had in the early 2000s to go to South Africa and minister with a medical mission team to a South Africa that was falling apart from AIDS. And it was far worse, quite frankly, than anything that we are visibly seeing right now. We would go to villages and townships where there would be up to 10 or 11 funerals every weekend, nonstop. These areas were just melting and falling apart. And we would go into homes and see people who were just dying of AIDS without access to clean water, without access to the medicines without access to the ARVs. Your hearts bled and broke. Entire communities were just melting by an epidemic at that time or by a disease or by a virus that was completely out of control and the people had no access to whatever help that they so desperately needed. And as you come face to face with those moments and you see those people dying, And you look into the eyes of someone who is passing away. 
It's hard as we come to God's word to say that they need anything other than a Lord and Savior who is alive and who is present, who loves them and who has died for them, who knows what it means to suffer all the horrors of this world, who is able to give mercy and grace in our time of need, and who will be with that person, not only in life, but also in death. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a gift that is priceless. We need in gratitude to be thankful. We need not waste it. We need to consider very seriously what is essential in our lives. And are we making time with Jesus a priority, the essential, in times like this? In the next few weeks, our church will not be able to gather together. It does not stop what is essential. We will continue to the best that we can to provide Sunday morning services. We will do so by streaming. The priority of the elders as they've gathered together is to make sure there is ongoing access to the ministry of the Word and prayer within the Lighthouse Bible Church community. And so this coming Wednesday evening, we will continue with our Logos Bible study. We will be live streaming through Facebook Live, and it will take place, and you will likely be able to access it from our website at 8.30. And we'll continue our study through the book of Ephesians, which is a timely book at this time. It was written by the Apostle Paul while he was under house arrest, while he was on the shelter in the home program by the Roman government. And we'll be going through Ephesians chapter 6, which is about spiritual warfare, which is very pertinent and very relative to this time. And we'll have the opportunity as well to do small group meetings on the off weeks. And so I want to encourage you and exhort you, if you do not belong to a small group, please access or email us through our website. And please, if it's your desire Reach out to us so that we can connect you with a small group, someone and a group of people who you can meet with either on a weekly basis or every other week to gather together to share God's word, to read scripture together, and to pray together. Next Sunday morning, we will also meet at this time at 10 o'clock, Lord willing, if the Lord allows. And our services from now on for the foreseeable future, will be held at 10 o'clock. And the reason we're doing that is so that we can have a time from 11 o'clock until 12 to answer your questions and to fellowship together with you and to do the best we can to care for you and to point you to Christ. And in the days ahead, you will see either on our website or our members page, a Bible reading plan and a prayer plan so that we as a church can focus on the essentials so that we can gather together as a people and read through Scripture together, and we can pray together and pray for one another and pray for the same things together. And then, Lord willing, as we're able, with whatever happens in the days ahead, that we can gather together to be near to Christ and to be near to one another. But there's one final closing thing that I want to bring to your attention as we consider what is essential. If what's essential is being near to Jesus, brothers and sisters, you have what this world needs. This is an incredible opportunity for the good news of the gospel. I know we can't speak to people. I know we can't touch people. I know we're supposed to keep six feet apart. And yet each of us in our venue and sphere have people in our lives, whether they be family members, parents, co-workers, who we need to contact or be in touch with either by phone or online. Would you pray for an opportunity to carry out the Great Commission? Would you pray that God would give you this opportunity? And what an opportunity as the world is shut down to talk with people who do not know Jesus about what they so desperately need to hear. That He is alive, that He is risen, that He is greater than sin and death, and that He gives life to all those who call on His name and by faith look to Him to be their Savior and their Lord. Let's close in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, what we so desperately need is to be with you. And the good news of the gospel is that is something as disciples that we already have. Whether we are separate, whether we are in different places, whether we are unable to gather together as a community face to face. Lord Jesus, you have said where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that, Lord Jesus, is within the context of church discipline. It's within the context of believers being obedient and coming to you as little children, looking to help and looking to help to repent of their sins. Lord Jesus, would we be as the two Marys? Would we run to find you and would we run to share the news that you are alive? Lord Jesus, would we celebrate this day and would we have cause to celebrate and would we be joyful over the reality that whatever this world will throw against us, you are greater than anything in this world and that you are alive and that you love us and that you died to guarantee that you would always be with us even until the end of the age when you come back face to face. Lord Jesus, we of all people have this hope. Would you enable us, Lord Jesus, to model that hope for our families and to share that hope with a world that so desperately needs it. In your name we pray. Amen.